Sales Tuners, Episode 115, Ryan Arnett, Vice President of Sales at Docsend. On a scale of one to 10, is this pain that they're going to spend $100,000 to fix? Or am I getting pain that's maybe worth $5,000? And you're going to know really quickly if you have an opportunity you could anchor on. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Ben Horowitz, who said, until you make the effort to get to know someone or something, you don't know anything. This week, I'm joined by Ryan Arnett, Vice President of Sales at Docsend, a deal management application for sales. Ryan has spent more than 10 years leading and scaling sales organizations at startups like Meltwater and OpenGov, and also mixed in some large companies with time at Thomson Reuters and NASDAQ. His sales frameworks have led to a getting shit done mentality that I'm pretty sure you will enjoy. We're going to rip the bandaid off immediately in this conversation, making sure you know that it doesn't matter what you want in sales. It only matters what the customer needs. We'll talk about several of the different sales methodologies out there and how knowing more than one is like being able to speak multiple languages. And we'll also talk about what could happen when you go the extra mile for your customers. Last week, I mentioned the Essentials course that I was wrapping up and asked for anyone interested in hearing more about it when it was released to sign up for updates at salestuners.com slash essentials. To my surprise, more than 100 of you did just that in the two days that followed the episode. Thank you. I love knowing that the work I'm putting in for you is worth it. It will be ready for you in the new year, and there will be plenty of opportunity for learning, coaching, and even direct access to me. So again, if you want to be one of the first to know when it is ready, simply drop me a note at salestuners.com slash essentials. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 115. But now let's get to the conversation where Ryan talks about why he'd rather spend his day with a team of border collies than a team of people. If you've ever had a dog, you know, a dog that's just been yours and specifically a border collie, they have the highest you know level of, of intelligence. They're so loyal and they're so smart and they do not only what you want, but they actually like listen to your emotions. So, you know, sometimes you just need to tune it out. You know, us sellers, we're on the phone, we're in meetings, we're talking all day long. But, uh, you know, getting around a border collie who actually obeys and takes takes the, the feedback that you're giving, it, it's somewhat rewarding, I guess, as a leader of sales. You're making me my, miss my dog that passed away about a year ago, but not because of him passing away, but because you're right. It was someone that would actually listen to me every once in a while. So... <laughs> Yeah, with sales guys, you have to be so redundant. You have to say four or five things for them to listen. But you know, you raise your voice once, you know, and he's uh, he's running circles around you. So that's what I met. I love it. I love it. We're right in this show. We talk about the attitude, actions, and abilities that have led to your success. So I want to understand more about your sales process today. Tell me what is Docsend, and why does a typical customer uh, actually buy from you? Docsend is a company. If you think about it, you know, we are part content management, part sales enablement, part deal management. So if you think about, you know, today we send everything from proposals to contracts, all these attachments are a critical part of educating and informing, you know, prospects, customers. And, you know, a lot of times today they go into a black hole, we never see them. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you access to all the content that you might send to a prospect right in your inbox 
So you can send it, you can track and see the overall engagement, build out, you know, your, your account and see all the stakeholders involved in the buying process. And then, you know, what's coming is being able to actually get, get through e-signature as well. So it's a really simple tool. I think what I pride uh, our, our tool on is just, it's focused on the end user. It's built in the workflow. It'll take a couple of minutes to get up and running and you'll be amazed with the buyer intent, you know, in real time that you're going to get as a seller, which helps, you know, ultimately drive how you, uh, how you approach that sales opportunity. Totally. And you talked about the multiple constituents that we have to manage today. I know we're going to unpack a lot of that today here. I know you started your career uh, before the creation of the SDR role was even around, but take me way back. How did you actually even get into sales? You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't know. I think this is a lot of people's answer. You know, they either have the dad who is like, hey, I, I've been in sales my whole career. I work for IBM. Or you have the flip side of that, which is like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do after I get out of school. So you just kind of stumble into something and you realize really quickly what you don't want to do. And that was sitting behind a desk, putting on headphones and dealing with engineers. So, you know, I just thought, hey, I'm competitive. I played college sports. Like I got to get into something where I'm going to want to win. I'm going to want to have to compete. and My hard work will actually pay off. So kind of just stumbled into it. And uh, this European company called Meltwater happened to be hiring uh, their first American employees in South Florida. So I went there, interviewed. And next thing you know, I'm uh, I'm in sales. It, it was just a kind of a wild couple of weeks, but it, it transitioned so quickly. And, and while you were there, you were hunting, you were closing, and you were even farming into your own accounts. Talk to me about some of the early struggles you had as you were figuring it out uh, when you're getting started. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people in startups, especially, they don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, so the mentorship, the guidance, it's not there. It's kind of just like figure it out on your own. So I think it was a lot of A-B testing. It was a lot of just uh, late nights prospecting, you know, trying to make sure I didn't even know what a persona was. Um, All I knew is that the more times I picked up the phone and I had conversations, the more opportunities that were going to be in my funnel and the longer I was going to be able to stay at the company. And and that's truly what it was. I mean, it was just a a grind, you know, just pick up the phone, hammering it. And I think ultimately what I learned is that I had no sales methodology. I had no process. I was relying on two things hard work and building relationships. And that's it. So I guess I kind of got lucky that I made it as far as I did. I could be, uh, you know, I could be an engineer right now somewhere instead of being in sales. Well, so let's, let's start to go with this, right? So you said hard work and building relationships. You say you didn't have any sales methodologies. I, I, I've read on your LinkedIn, Ryan, that, you know, it, it, what we have to fall back on is maybe old school, but it's build an honest relationship and genuinely care about your prospect. Okay. When I read it, I understand what all the words say, but what does that actually mean? And how do you do it today? Yeah, it, it can be hard, but I think, you know, I, I remember I heard this, I, I sold uh, to CFOs in government you know, at our last company. And uh, a guy who had been in the, in the government for 25 years, his name is Mike McCann. He told me, Ryan, we hear vendors come in and pitch us every single day. He's like, and if you can be the guy that they bring up at the dinner table with their wife and kids, then you won. And that resonated with me in a major way. And what it, what it really meant is like, these are people. These are people. This, we look at these people as buyers, people we got to sell to. And I look at them as people that I want to shoot the shit with. I just want to learn who they are. And that, that goes in sales. That goes if, you know, if I'm in an elevator, I'm at a restaurant, you know, I just want to, you know, be inquisitive and learn and, and, and see how they tick. And, and when you do that and you kind of let your shoulders down, they let their shoulders down and, and you typically find out that there's some things about those people that you really enjoy and you can get along with. And I think that's the approach that, that, I, that I mean, being empathetic to them and their situation. I like that concept of both parties kind of letting their shoulders down, right? And realizing you both have a job to get done. But how do you do that in an environment today where these buyers, right? And, and I know they're people, but these buyers are inundated 
with cold outreach that frankly between you and me is shit and and yeah. they don't want to take the time to talk to another salesperson how do you break through to even begin that relationship yeah i think it really boils down to to research and i think it boils down and i don't mean research in like the old kind of pragmatic way i mean research like find something that you guys both enjoy dig deep take the time to learn them there's nothing more than uh, that frustrates the shit out of me is when I get cold emails, cold LinkedIn messages, and it's just me, me, me. It's about me. You know, nobody, everybody wants to talk about themselves, but us as sellers are too quick to jump in and start talking about what I want, what I want. But if, if you go the extra mile and you, you look at LinkedIn, for example, looked at, look at their activity, look at posts that they've put out there, things that they're passionate about, things that they've shared. Talk about those things because they're excited about it. And, and without them even realizing it, they're going to be talking to you as if you know they've known you for months. And so what are you asking for if you do that? If, if I do that research, I've seen the articles they've wrote, uh, I see what they're passionate about, and I reach out, yeah. what am I asking for? You're trying to connect the dots. You're trying to open up, a, facilitate a conversation that's not around why the hell are we talking? Who are you? I don't want to talk to another salesperson. So, you know, hey, you know, hey, you know, Jim. I noticed that you had, uh, you know, back in the day, had worked for a company, sold it to Oracle. I'm actually, ironically, a couple uh, blocks down the street from Oracle's headquarters. How was that experience? Right there, I, I'm taking something that I've learned about you that you probably feel really sincerely excited about because that was part of your life for a long time, and I'm connecting it to something that that is close to me or around me. Right? How do you connect the dots in a way that seems? Uh, sincere. I think that's what I'm looking for. So you can always find ways to connect dots, but a lot of times people are lazy. They cut corners and they're just not going the extra mile. And they're, they're relying on, you know, kind of old basic tactics that, you know, have since gone away. You know, being in a leadership position, we are just as much buyers today as we are sellers. And you kind of alluded to that. You're getting these cold pitches that are, that suck as well. Uh, and I will say, you know, to echo what you're, you're talking about, Ryan, you know, the, the thing that is I'm most passionate about outside of my family and work is Kentucky basketball, right? You're from the Midwest. You're probably not a U fan. If you are, I apologize, but I'm a Kentucky basketball fan. And I've had probably in the last year, two people like go in depth and learn how much I care about Kentucky basketball. And they're, they're citing stats from like 1998 when we won that national title. And I'm like, all right, I, I will give you time. Like I may not buy your product, but I'm giving you time. And that's all you're asking for, really, is just an opportunity. And I think that's what people are, are somewhat missing. And you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. That's the exact example of what I'm looking for. Now, I, I am a Hoosier basketball fan, and I am sorry that you like Kentucky. But listen, I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, Calipari, he'll be out of there in a little while, but let's not go down that path right now. But it, it's just finding something well, to do. Do you want to talk about the dust that's hanging on the banners in Assembly Hall? Because, I mean, they've been hanging for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many one and dones at Kentucky that I don't even know who's at the school anymore. All I know is, is you know, Calipari is uh, following Rick Pitino's footsteps. All right, let's let's keep going with the sales chat. Yeah, this is this is going to be really quick. But you know, I want to point out something that you know, as a sales leader, it's really hard to train people on building relationships. It's one of the most difficult things to scale. And so, you know, I, I talked to I've had guys go to Toastmasters. I've had you know, thinking on your feet. How do you build relationships? Some of your team members. Yeah, I've actually had guys. Hey, I want you to go to to Toastmasters. You know, I want you to learn how to get up in front of and talk to people. It's it's really a confidence thing. And I also think it's tying things back, like we said, to something personal. The second you start talking about Kentucky basketball, in my head, I'm starting to think of things that I could relate to you with. So 
For example, my freshman year, I played baseball at Western Kentucky. Our point guard on the Western Kentucky basketball team transferred to Kentucky. His name was Patrick Sparks, played with Rondo. Oh my gosh, yes, indeed. And so I know Pat. And so I would immediately try to say, oh, you know, do you, do you remember Patrick Sparks? So it's something that I can relate to about Kentucky basketball, even though I'm not that, I don't have intimate knowledge of the subject. So you can always find things to connect the dots. That's kind of what I'm alluding to. And I know this isn't a show about basketball, but as soon as you say Patrick Sparks, I think about 2005 and the Elite Eight, that three-pointer, and it went into overtime. I mean, like, I'm a legit Kentucky basketball fan, so I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think he's one of the guys that scored like 100 points in a high school game. He's a legend. Unreal. Well, we're talking about so many different things. You just talk about how you train your people on how to build those relationships. You talk about Toastmaster. I love that. You didn't start with a sales methodology. In in my research of of you for this show, it looks like you've subscribed to Medic, at least for for Dachshund. But help me understand that. I I know you're passionate about learning multiple uh, sales methodologies. What what, what, what gives there? Yeah, I kind of kid around. Like your first experience is, is probably the most alarming that you don't know shit. You know, you realize really quickly, like, holy cow, there are people that are really good at this. But, you know, I, I've, I've come to, to realize that I think sales methodologies are like languages, speaking languages. So the more languages you speak, the more valuable you are in the business world, you know, and how you communicate with, with other cultures, right? I, I think that's pretty much safe to say that it is a value add. I think sales methodologies are the same thing because there's no cookie cutter approach and there's different, no different than sales stages. There's different actions that are that that take place throughout a sales process, and they're very different. You know, having an opening early conversation, a discovery call, is very different than negotiating uh, an agreement. And so, I think the more that you can learn about multiple, you know, sales processes, sales methodologies, the the better suited you're going to be uh, in all aspects of deals. Even when you start to go up market, if you want to, you know, some guys, you know, they start out maybe in S and B, go mid market go up to enterprise. Um, there's things that I use in all those different methodologies and all those different size of, of sales, you know, when you're, when you're going up market as an example. You know, Ryan, uh, listeners of this show know that I'm currently on a year-long trip around the world with my family. Uh, I'm actually getting ready to go over to Spain. It'll be our, our fifth country in our fifth month. But what you just said there about the languages and the culture kind of concepts is the reason why I'm doing this trip. I'm interviewing sales reps around the world about what it's like to sell to their buyers. And I'm learning so much and I'm able to take that and apply it to my own world. And it's making me just a better communicator in general. So when I sit here and I think about this notion, you know, I, I've, I've trained in many of the different methodologies. I've read countless others, and I'm always picking up little pieces and forming my own. So I couldn't agree more with this concept. What do you think the, the, uh, the basic framework is that a rep needs to get before they can start to really flourish? Push the, all the methodologies aside. If there's one thing that you want to double down on, it's really understanding the first, you know, the first real call is, is how do I get that and, and rate yourself. You know, is this on a scale of one to 10? Is this pain that they're going to spend $100,000 to fix? Or am I getting pain that's maybe worth $5,000? And you're going to know really quickly if you have an opportunity you could anchor on. So I know that's a, a snippet of what you're asking for, but I think it, it's somewhere that I would focus or double down on if I was, uh, you know, a sales rep that maybe was thinking about methodologies. No, I think that's really good. And like you said, being able to quantify that pain from a monetary standpoint, what is the value of the problem I'm about to go try to solve? It kind of, like you said, anchors you in there. I, I'm with you. I agree with you. I'm definitely a pain-based seller. However, I work with several clients and I have had many people on the show say, yeah, but 
what about the companies that are bringing brand new technologies to the world? And I'm, I'm talking about true innovation where it's not replacing anything. It's not replacing workflows. It's not replacing existing systems. It is literally showing 100% opportunity. So there may not be pain because it's an unknown quantity. What do you say to that? How do you even start that conversation? Well, I've done this, you know, and it is not easy. I, I joked around. I, I, I was a VP of sales at a company called OpenGov. We sold to governments. And we, you know, everybody, we've been selling to governments for years, but we were selling a new technology. It was, it was something that was so different than what they knew. Uh, I felt like when we were going out on a, on a pitch, it was more of a marketing pitch than it was a sales pitch because we're introducing them to the concept. And so I think, uh, you know, a little bit of it is anxiety, you know, kind of that keeping up with the Joneses, but a lot of it is, is it's personal. You know, how is this going to impact them on a personal level? You know, I've had a lady that said, um, you know what? Because of what you guys have done, I'm now going to get to go and see my kids play soccer on Wednesday nights. I never would have been able to do that. So it's not always pain that's quantified in the business sense. Sometimes it could be really personal to them. It could be a political driver. You know, them bringing it into the company could actually get them some some clout. You know, internally. But a lot of times, I find it is like nobody wants to be left behind. They always want to feel like they're the company on the cutting edge that's doing things better, different than everybody else. And so if you, if you add a couple of those elements together, you know, that's, I think that's how we were able to successfully sell in a market that had no clue what we were doing. That's been my challenge with it is, yeah, nobody wants to be left behind. They always want to make sure they're keeping up with the Joneses, but that's not the driver that gets them to buy. That's the driver that gets them to have the conversation, but not to buy. So I've always been uh, torn on that. I'll, I'll, I'll let you respond to that, but I want to maybe ask it uh, in a different way. So you talk about discovery being the place where obviously you, you get all this pain. How do you do that in today's seemingly more complex environment where there's so many people that touch this, so many constituents that come into play? I know it's part of what your tool does, but how do you manage discovery when there's so many players? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, it, I, I've heard so many people say, hey, discovery's dead. You know, don't do the 30-minute discovery. People are sick of it. I've also heard people say, if you don't do 30 minutes of discovery, you might as well not take the opportunity. And I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there, but I think what you have to ultimately do is you have to mirror the customer. You have to mirror the prospect. And you know you get people that come into a discovery call and they're just like, hey, I don't care. I don't want to answer questions. I just want to hear what you guys have. So I think that's a situation where just because they want to maybe dig in and they want to jump to something sooner doesn't mean we still can't get discovery. But we just feed them bite-sized chunks and ask questions along the way. And I think you just got to understand, you know, hey, here, I'm in a situation where they're completely open to doing 30 minutes of discovery. Take every minute of it and get as much information as you can. But there's more people these days that say, hey, I don't want to sit through 30 minutes. I need to understand what you guys do. I need to hear the pitch. Why is it going to help me? Um, so you can have kind of a hybrid approach where instead of kind of going through and doing a demo, you're, you're giving them chunks of information and then you're asking them questions as a follow-up. So I might say, you know, so we're talking about buyer intent and understanding buyer intent or buyer behavior. And I might, instead of just going on to the next thing, I might say, Jim, you know, today when you're, when you're, you know, looking out uh, for prospects and, and you're trying to understand if this is a buyer or, or this is just kind of somebody that's going to, you know, uh, drag me along, how, how are you using buyer intent today? Just, I'm curious. And so you'll answer and then we'll go on to the next thing and I'll ask another question. So it's just different ways of, of getting discovery, but you still have to get that information or you're going to be sitting on uh, you know, a, a shitty deal, in my opinion. No, you, you totally are. I, this is going to be a very tactical question now, right? But as a VP of sales, I think you'll be able to, to, uh, to help. 
at what point, because I, I love this concept, but at what point in that conversation or conversations do you convert the lead into an opportunity? I think that a lot of times uh, we're quick to like call people in and we're quick to call people out, but sometimes it's just like asking the upfront question, hey, Jim, can you see what we talked about today as being valuable for you and your organization? If not, let me know. I'd love to just make sure that you know, I'm, I'm taking, taking your time and I'm being respectful with it. But if you feel like this is something that you guys actually need, I'd love to take next steps and, and get John, Peter and Bill, you know, who are in your marketing department on a next step call. Can you facilitate that? You know, it's, it's we overthink this a little bit, but, you know, I'd rather know early in the opportunity if it's worth uh, investing time in than when we've gone down that path and I'm sitting there and it's sitting in a stage for for 45 days and it hasn't moved. You know, that's probably more frustrating. Totally. And, and there's definitely a balancing act here, right? Because yes, people get excited about new technology. As you said earlier, they don't want to be left behind. They definitely want to see all the new tools. But how do we we balance that out with, well, have I gotten true pain? Have I gotten a real compelling event? Have I gotten even, do I know how they would buy this versus they're just excited. They want to keep seeing demos. Because the last thing we want is to your point is just demo after demo after, hey, can you show this guy a demo? Can you customize a demo for this guy, right? And so I, I'm with you on that. One of the things I wanted to talk about today, Ryan, was this, this today's buyer's journey, and you're already kind of alluding to it, but what do you see the biggest change in buyer's journey has been like in the last probably 12 months for you guys? One is we obviously know that there's, there's more stakeholders involved in the buying process than there ever have been. And what's funny about this is the more stakeholders that get involved, the more they pass the buck right? They think somebody else is going to take care of it. So things just don't happen. So you would think that more people means more action, but it actually does the opposite. And, and we have data that actually says this exactly, which is, which is kind of interesting. But I also think that there is a resurgence and I shouldn't even say it's a resurgence, but it, it, maybe it goes through waves, but people are starting to realize that if you don't look to your existing customer base uh, for a fraction of your revenue, then you're, you're likely investing too much money on chasing new logos. So I think there's a, a basically a switch, not only in how pre-sale uh, goes to post-sale, but reps actually having to stay with your customers and stick with them because um, eventually there's going to not be as many logos to chase and you're going to have um, some really awesome customers that you've been taking care of. You know, they're going to come and double down with you. So I think that those two things are things that I really see in the market, at least today. That's interesting. So you're you're saying the sales rep needs to stay with the account, maybe not necessarily a client success manager or something like that. I'm saying that you know you're going to hand that off and you're going to give that to your customer success rep. But how many sales reps are volunteering proactively to jump on that first call with their customers if it's not mandatory? You know, how many times are you talking to your customer and making sure that they're getting everything they want in conjunction, in addition to what the customer success rep is doing? Uh, this is going to go a long way for the buyer. It's going to go a long way for reputation. And, and if you want referrals, if you want references, this is going to be the easiest way to get it. And I think sales reps are too narrow focused and they see the short term implication and they don't realize how big of an asset this is going to be on the long tail. Well, does that come back to how their compensation plans laid out though? Right? Like if, if I'm not, if I don't get any upside to any new revenue after the additional sale is done, why would I participate in that? Yeah, I don't disagree. However, and that's a short-term thought. I think when you look at referrals, it is the quickest, easiest way to win business. You know, a friend of mine referred me to you guys and you're in. And you'll be surprised what kind of business you'll be able to generate in a short period of time if, if you have a customer who's like, damn, this guy went the extra mile. 
I would, I would stick my neck out on the line for these guys. In fact, we just had a, a prospect the other day, a customer now, who said, you know, if I end up leaving this company, you guys are going to be the first people that I call. Wow. And, and you don't hear that that much in, uh, in, in sales these days. So, it, it, you know, I think it's just practicing what you preach and actually doing it, following through. doesn't take that much time. How much time do you spend looking at ESPN in the morning? How much time do you spend on Facebook and, and Instagram and all that bullshit? Trust me, cut 30 minutes out of that and just follow up with your customers. No, I really like that. And it is true. And it's not just even true at the company you're with today. If you take that extra step, as you're saying, it, you can change logos on your polo shirt and that customer will buy from you again if you're selling a different product. Maybe even if you're selling the same product, if you've treated them right. Couldn't agree more. I had a lady that bought three times from me and she was an executive. So there was no ambiguity. She just called me and said, Ryan, I want the same thing I got at my last company. And we're talking, you know, half a million dollars in revenue total. And, uh, it, it, it was just like that snap of a finger. So I, I really truly believe in it. This isn't uh, you know sales leadership, quote unquote, uh, BS. Well, that's incredible. And look, this is not theory, guys. Ryan, you've done this multiple companies. You actually led sales for a startup that went all the way to an acquisition, uh, and then you know as you figured that out, it was even acquired by a bigger company. Talk about that experience. Yeah, that's actually one of the toughest, uh, you know, kind of crossroads that I've ever been at. And I know you, some of your listeners are, are at big companies and, and that's fine. Don't worry about the big company component. But, you know, I found myself, you know, what do you really want to do, right, in life? And I think, you know, when that acquisition took place, you know, we got swallowed up by a large behemoth company and I just didn't feel like I was going to be able to make the impact that I wanted to make. And I kind of felt lost and I felt like uh, politics was the way you went up in the ranks. Politics is where you got opportunities. And I just wasn't ready to fight that fight. That fight. And so, you know, I was at a crossroads in my sales career. And I know we all get at these, these crossroads and we're like, what do I really want to do? And, and, I, and I hate to sound cliche, but, you know, what do you enjoy doing? What could you get behind? And, uh, you know, that's when I ended up going to work for a company that sold to government because I think we all have uh, equal frustration on how government works and, you know, how they spend our tax dollars. And I, I could get behind that. It wasn't something I woke up and, and thought about every day. But it's something I could get behind, and that kind of re-inspired me. So I think when you're at those crossroads, just kind of uh, dig deep and figure out, like, what is it that I really want to do? What would I enjoy? Could I see myself actually selling this and liking this? I think that's what's most critical. Wow. I, I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head on multiple fronts there. One is because you, when you made that decision, you went to a company that sold to the government, right? So if I start stack ranking the different complexities of sales and slow sales cycles, government is the slowest and, and, and worst uh, entity to possibly sell to only beyond or only under uh, education, right? Higher education. So it's incredible to do that, but you did it because you had passion. You felt like you actually make a difference if you did that. There's a lot of people that listen to the show and, and I even have you on the show that are from big companies, but I want to hear what you meant by politics. When you are in that big company and you start to realize that politics drive success more than actually doing the work, what does that mean for you? Or what did that mean for you? Actually, this is this is really important because what it meant to me is that the more politics that are being played at the senior levels, the more um, separation that they've created from what's actually happening on the ground floor. You know, I talk about the reps being the tip of the spear. You know, we're listening to the prospects. We hear the objections. We know the frustrations on, on the product. And uh, the, I, I feel like the more time that's spent, you know, worrying about my career and my path to the to the top of the ranks the less aware they are of, of, you know, the soldiers on the field. And I, I said, no matter what, I don't want to be that guy. And uh, I, I think this is going to be really important for sellers, even though I know I'm a, I'm a leader, 
but I, I roll up my sleeves and I get into meetings all the time. And, and sometimes I think about, you know, when I'm scheduling my day, when I'm really scheduling my day on Sunday night or my week, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about what's my number one thing I want to focus my attention on. And if it's not sales related, then you're doing the wrong things. And so I will quickly say no to things. I will quickly uh, cancel meetings that I don't feel um, are valuable and are actually driving sales forward. So sometimes we get stuck in a lot of extracurricular activities. And so I, I don't want to be the person that's in a lot of meetings, that's doing a lot of administrative stuff. I want to focus on sales because that's what I enjoy. At the end of the day, that's how I'm graded. You know, that's so powerful to hear a leader say that. I've had many conversations with my wife. I probably am going to go back and either, you know, be a, a VP of sales or sell for somebody. I have no problem selling for someone, working for someone else, but it's got to be a leader who I can be inspired by. And the things that you just said, like that's something I can get behind. I would come follow you. So I, kudos to you uh, for, for saying that and truly meaning it because I, I can sense the the genuineness of that. Ryan, sales is is something that, you know, when, when you're, when you're winning, you're great, but when you're not, you're shit. And, and part of your success or what's led to your success is the hard work, but it's doing the things that people don't notice. And I think if you combine that with that leadership, you know, qualities that you just talked about, that's where a lot of this, this winning is coming from. But what does that mean? How, how, what are those things mean to you? What are you doing that people don't notice? Yep. I, I, this is so important. So I'm going to go back to when I was selling the government and then I'm going to fast forward and I'll make this quick, but it's so impactful. When we sold to government, I realized I didn't know jack shit about government. And I realized that we have certain personas that we sell to, just like everybody that's on the, on the podcast today. You guys have a persona that you sell to. You likely have kind of an ideal customer profile. But how much do you really know about them? And what I, what I would do is I would sit, and this is government specific, but I would go and I would read three, 400-page budget books. And these budget books contain every bit of information that you would want to know and learn about, about a government. And I, and I just started educating myself. And so doubling down on educating yourself, not only about you know, you, you know, the people that you sell to, but about the personas. If, if I asked a guy, I was on the phone with an old friend last night. He's a head of product marketing uh, at a company. And I said, Cam, can I come to your office for two days and just sit there behind you and watch you work all day? And he's like, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah. I just want to learn. I want to learn what you do because I, I know what the value prop says and I know what the what the you know the persona cheat sheet says, but I don't really know what you do, who you interface with on a day to day, like what your challenges are, you know, what time you come in, what time you leave. Like I want to know you. I want to you know it, going back to basketball, Jim. You know, I want to I want to be that annoying guy who's guarding the, the point guard who just is a fly that won't leave you alone. I want to know that about my prospects. And I think this really boils down to reps not investing and in being educated about their about their their market, their people that they're selling to. Um, it'll give you an edge. And it'll give you an edge in such a major way that you can start tying real value and paying back to like what they're trying to solve for because you can relate. And uh, I can't say that enough. I would say this over and over and over again, but I've been a big believer in just doubling down and tripling down and really understanding these people on another level. Man, that's gold. I think about some of the best successes I've had in my career, and it's exactly what you're talking about. It's when I knew the buyer so intimately well that I knew their language. I knew how they did certain things. I knew what other software programs they were using, how they were using it. with their first. And, and, and some of my fellow sales reps would get frustrated with me because they felt like they were better salespeople. I'm like, you can be a better salesperson all you want. I know the buyer. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And it's so under, you know, under uh, developed because reps think that they need to go do other extracurricular activities. And I also get, you need to live your life, but man, take two, two days a week 
and stay two hours after work and just double down, get knee deep into what the internet has. I love the internet because they're so fucking full of information. I used to, you know, I used to be dumb because I didn't have access. I didn't have quick access. I wasn't going to go to the library. You know, I'm older, but now we have a wealth of information sitting at our fingertips and we just don't dedicate the time to actually go dig into it. And I would say that that would be something I would do as a rep. We are so blessed with the amount of information we have available to us today and, and, and that we carry around in our pockets. So, Ryan, I could continue this conversation for the rest of the day, but I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Ryan, are you ready for the money round? I hope so. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Finding a good mentor. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Probably following a path or a passion that I love, dogs or sports. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose. I have broken countless n- number of uh, you know game controllers, um, baseball bats, helmets. So I think it's pretty obvious there. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? I would have to say The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, I read it over a weekend and I hardly read books. I couldn't put it down. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Ryan's suggestion of The Hard Thing About Hard Things for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Ryan, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? I'd have to say uh, you know, waking up for a month and not having to come into work. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Yeah, I think I said at the beginning, I said, outwork everyone, you know, find, find winners and learn from them and become an expert. Ryan made sure to let me know he loved, loved, loved shitty cold pitches on LinkedIn. He said, the more you can make it about you, the better. Obviously, I'm kidding. But if you do want to connect with Ryan, take any of the notes he mentioned in this conversation and personalize your outreach to him. I want to get to my top takeaways, but I could not limit myself to just three this week. So here goes. Number one, it doesn't matter what you want. There's nothing more that frustrates buyers than getting cold messages that are all about you. You know the ones I'm talking about where every paragraph or maybe even every sentence starts with I. I hope, I just, I wanted, I think, I, 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 I. Again, it doesn't matter what you want. Take two minutes to find something personal about the person you're reaching out to. If for some reason you can't find anything, make the message about their situation without making a request of their time. Try asking a question that could start a conversation instead. Number two, there's no cookie cutter approach. Similar to Ryan, I've studied the majority of the sales methodologies out there. I tend to favor some over others, but I've pulled something out of everything I've learned and applied it to the relevant situations I found myself in. 
I very much liked Ryan's notion of knowing different methodologies being similar to being able to speak multiple languages. That way, whether you're prospecting, opening up a discovery, doing a demo, or negotiating an enterprise deal, you have the right framework for every step in the process. Number three, mirror your customer. How many times has a prospect tried to cut you off in discovery and said, just show me the product? It happens. I get it. My biggest piece of advice for you here is to understand where your lead came from. If it was inbound, understand there may be something specific they're looking for. Earn the right to ask them questions by giving them chunks of content that build a story. If they were an outbound appointment set, realize you still have to get them interested. Maybe that does mean that you have to share more upfront before digging into their needs because they may not fully understand what they're talking to you about. Number four, go the extra mile. For the most part, salespeople only do what they're incentivized to do. If you get paid for hunting new logos, why would you spend your time farming existing clients? Well, to show your buyer you care. While it's not mandatory, what would happen if you started sitting in the kickoff call with your client success team to be their advocate and making sure they didn't have to answer all the same questions again? Do you think they'd make introductions to their friends for you? If they left their current company and went somewhere else, do you think they might call you again? Could you imagine retiring your quota without having to do any prospecting? That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.